Welcome to the Buford Sermons Podcast, where we care about the things you care about. For more information or to donate to this ministry, please visit www.fbcbuford.org. Let me pray. Amen. Thank you so much again uh, for being here today. It's a special day in the life of our church. And if I get teary and emotional, um, it's uh, Aaron always tells Emma and, and Drake all the time, she's like, your daddy cries um, really a couple of times when he's tired and when, uh, and when he gets to lead someone to Christ. And so um, this morning, just so you can know how incredible of a church you are, Greg and Samantha were here this morning. Uh, it was several months back uh, that they showed up on a Sunday morning and um, uh, their daughter was sick and having some issues and they were worried, that the doctor was worried that there might even be a tumor um, in her brain. And so uh, if you remember on that Sunday morning, it was one of the Sunday mornings, we were having one service actually and uh, on that Sunday morning they asked me to pray for them and we don't do this all the time. Um, like we did it that day, but we just felt God leading us to gather around them as a church. And so you gathered around them as a church. My friend Benji, who's here in this service this morning, um, prayed for them out loud. And we prayed for them and maintained a relationship with them. And they've faced some sickness and um, just some struggle. Um, and Samantha's stepdad um, had been really sick. They knew he was close to the end at 1 o'clock this morning. Um, uh, he... Uh, went uh, went into eternity. Uh, he passed away at 1 o'clock this morning. I looked up. Greg and Samantha were here. We were praying for their daughter. They went to the doctor and got incredible news. Who knows how that news came as far as did she have something and God miraculously take care of them or um, did they just have a scare and God use it to put them in a place with people who love the Lord and would love them but God used this really, really hard moment in their life to connect them with people who love Jesus because they didn't have anywhere else to go. And this morning, uh, during the invitation, Samantha came and prayed, and me and Greg came and prayed, prayed with her. We met in my office, and Samantha and Greg both looked at me individually and said, we desperately need God to change our lives. And um, this morning at 1040, while I was supposed to be meeting with Evie, who had already trusted Christ, Greg and Samantha were praying to put their faith and trust in Christ in our office. And uh, we're going to get to celebrate new life and baptism with them and help them raise and disciple their kids and point their kids to Jesus even through these really, really hard days in their lives. And so God is just a great God who does incredibly big things. And I'm really excited about it. And so i got to somehow preach this morning. And if you're a first-time guest and you're like, I don't like going to churches where the preacher cries all the time, that's not this place, all right? Um, But i got to figure out how to preach this morning in Mark chapter 9 beginning in verse 14. As we look at the necessity and the incredible power of prayer in our lives, many of you know, most of us know, all of us should know, that yesterday, 20 years ago, most of us, all of us who were old enough yesterday, September 11th, 20 years ago, experienced one of those rare events, rare moments where you might remember exactly where you were. I was a senior in high school. My senior year in high school, I had seven periods. One of my periods was, um, uh, one of the periods I went to was weight training. One was study hall and one was teacher's aide with my head baseball coach. And so um, I had really hard days as a senior in high school. 
My first period class was an honors English class that somehow I got a college credit for. I'm not really sure. Uh, My teacher, his name was Mr. Williams. He was phenomenal. We all loved him for many reasons. One, he did love Jesus. He was a great guy. Um, But, you know, I might have a paper due on Monday, and I might come in on Monday and say, Mr. Williams, I'm so sorry. We had three baseball games this week. I had two this weekend. I just wasn't able to get it finished. And true story, this little small private school in Phoenix City, Alabama, that's most famous for Tim Hudson and uh, the Rasmus brothers who just played in the big leagues and all these big leaguers who came through our little school. Uh, Mr. Williams would look at me and he would say, uh, well, did you win? Now he knew because he showed up and I would say, well, yeah, we won all three. Well, how'd you do? And I would tell him how I did and he'd say, don't worry about it, get it to me Friday. Like it was just that kind of place. Kids, schools don't function like that. Don't try it, but that was how it worked. So I must have just convinced Mr. Williams to give me an extension on some paper I was supposed to write. And I had gone to my teacher's aide. Our school was pre-K through, through 12th grade. And so my teacher's aide was me hanging out with my head baseball coach or going and taking batting practice or doing whatever. But when I wasn't in the cage or in the weight room during teacher's aide, I was on the playground with kindergartners, um, just helping them have fun and doing what they called P.E., And I'll never forget on that morning as one of the teachers came out to me and Coach Kehoe and said, I need you to come, you need to come watch the TV. And as we walked in and watched one of those big, you know, boxy TVs that I'm sure was a health hazard because had it fallen on somebody, it would have crushed them. We watched it just in time to see the news as live on TV as many of you saw that second plane hit the towers. It was on that day, September 11th, that the world changed. 2,996 lives were lost. And it was also on that day on flight 93 when a man named Todd Beamer, who was sitting towards the back of the plane, snuck into the pantry to call 911 to tell them what was happening. It was in that conversation that through the 911 operator, he would realize that something had happened in New York City and that there was a chance this would be part of that attack. Eventually, an FBI agent would get on the phone and would confirm with Todd Beamer that the plane was headed toward Washington, D.C. You know the story well. Probably headed towards the White House or the Capitol. Todd Beamer put the phone down for a little bit, went to gather with some of the people that were there at the back of the plane, came back and got on the phone and said, We have a plan. After instructing the 911 operator to call his wife, Lisa, and to contact his, have her tell his three-year-old and one-year-old that he loved them, and that the baby in her belly, that he loved that baby as well, he shared with the operators that one of the crew was, I kind of like this part, in the midst of this sad story, one of the crew was boiling a pot of water be used on a very mean and evil person. He said, we're not going to be pawns in their scheme. And they began to prepare for this heroic act that truthfully would be no benefit to them personally at all. And if you've read the transcript or you know the story, Todd says to the 911 operator, before I go... Will you pray with me? And they say the Lord's Prayer together. 
Now, I believe when they said the Lord's Prayer, it wasn't like a football team saying the Lord's Prayer together on a Friday night. I appreciate that our football team and our community here does that. And I appreciate that you walk through kind of the ritual of doing that. But i just be honest with you, there's moments when I hate it. Because when a football team says it on a Friday night before they're getting ready to go, you know, try to run over lots of other people, they say it as if it's just something they do. It's our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, the will be done on earth as heaven gives us the day of every Christmas, we for those trespasses, those not temptations, there's no last kingdom, power and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then they get up and they start headbutting each other and cussing and getting ready to go hit somebody, right? It's just this weird thing. It's just this, it's just something we do. I, I appreciate the sentiment. I bow my head with them and I do it, but. I don't believe when he said the Lord's Prayer, it was that. When Todd Beamer knew what he was about to do, it was Father. We know that you are God in heaven. You are hallowed. Your name is. Your kingdom is greater than this one. We know our lives are about to end. Forgive us. Keep us from the power of evil. Yours is the power and the glory. And then they quoted Psalm 23. And again, I don't think it was the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. No, it was the Lord is our shepherd. He's got to guide us as we re-enter this cabin. They cried out to God. What exactly happened after that? All the details nobody really knows except for they took over a plane. And instead of it crashing into the White House or Capitol, instead of there being over 3,000 deaths, there were 2,996. Because those passengers who would lose their lives in the crash into a field would do something heroic, something that would change literally the world. And right before Todd Beamer did it, his last thought was, I got to pray. You see, prayer, prayer is a unique thing, isn't it? Because prayer truly is truly is a mark of faith. Prayer is an act of faith. And if we can say prayer is an act of faith, then we can also say prayer, lack of prayer is, the lack of prayer is a picture of a lack of faith. When you think about prayer, it's really kind of weird from a world standard, isn't it? I mean, you're going to get in a quiet place or maybe in a room with some other people and you're going to talk either quietly or maybe sometimes out loud to this being who you can't see and you can't touch and there's really no physical reason for you to know that they're there and you're going to expect that your words, your rambling, your, your talking in this quiet moment, in this quiet place is actually going to have some sort of impact on your life or somebody else's. It really is a strange thing, isn't it? And it really is an act of faith. Because how else? How else would you be able to have this conversation with this being who you can't see or touch or hear talk back to you and actually believe that there's any value to it apart from faith? 
As a matter of fact, I believe that prayer is the greatest act of faith that we can ever be a part of. We talk about acts of faith and we want to talk about actions and stepping and, and doing and these things that we can do. Truthfully, there's a lot of things we can do that we can just do. Sometimes we do things and we get lucky and it turns out good for us. Sometimes we do things and we're talented enough to make it turn out well for us. And we call it an act of faith, but really it's just us doing something that's necessary. But prayer truly is an act of faith because apart from faith, there is no reason to pray. And Jesus in Mark chapter 9 teaches his disciples about prayer. We actually see, I believe, three kind of levels or three kind of stages of faith in this incredible story in verses 14 through 29. In Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29, Jesus here has just come off of the mountain with Peter, James, and John. That They had just experienced this trans, the transfiguration. They had experienced seeing Jesus in all of his glory with Moses and Elijah standing there. It was this incredible, remarkable moment. And as they come down off the mountain from this moment of worship, this moment of Jesus showing his glory, they get to the bottom of the mountain and they hear arguing. <laughs> Isn't it funny how life works that way many times? I mean, you have this great moment of, of, of worship or this great moment of success, this, this maybe a spiritual high in your life for some reason. Maybe your kid trusted in Christ or like this morning, you know, you had, uh, you know, somebody that, that gave their life to Christ back here and, and man, you're on this spiritual high. This hasn't happened to me today, but there are these times when, man, I, you know, I've just led somebody to Jesus and I'm on this really, I mean, just, I mean, I, I'm, I'm so full and so excited about what God's doing and you round the corner in the hallway and there meets. Uh, there you meet somebody who's got to tell you something you did wrong in the nine o'clock service, right? You know, you ever, you ever had something like that in your life? Everything's going well and then everything just seems to be crashing around you. And it's just that big XL. Really? Could I just enjoy this glorious moment for a second? Jesus and his three disciples who he loved and were closest to him come off the mountain and they come down to this scene of the other disciples arguing and here's what the bible says when they came to the other disciples they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them and as soon as all the people saw jesus they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him what are you arguing with them about jesus asked a man in the crowd answered teacher i brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech whenever it seizes him it throws him to the ground he foams at the mouth gnashing his teeth and becomes rigid i asked your disciples to drive out the spirit but they could not you unbelieving generation jesus said how long shall i stay with you how long shall i put up with you bring the boy to me so they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus leaves the mountain and Peter, James, and John come down with him. In the midst of this argument, Jesus says, what is happening? This man raises his hand and says, teacher, I brought my son to you. He's possessed by a demon and I can't handle it anymore. All I could do was bring him and hope that you could help him. 
And in this part of this story, we're going to read the rest of it. We first see this incredible truth about the goodness and the compassion in the heart of Jesus. And that is, write this down if you're taking notes this morning. Jesus hears your desperate faith in the midst of demons. Jesus hears your desperate faith in the midst of demons. Many times we think faith is something that we've got to be strong about. It's got to be something that comes on the mountaintop. It's, it's got to be something that, that we've figured out on our own. And there are many people in the world we live in, maybe some sitting in this room, maybe some watching online, who you are in a place where you are so desperately in need of something but maybe you're nervous to call upon Jesus because you're worried that you haven't called upon him yet so he might not hear you you know you've heard guys like me say many times before probably point out the truth that one of the problems with the church or with people is that when everything is going well, we forget about walking in obedience to Jesus. We forget about spending time with him. And we only want to come to him when we're desperate. And many times we might say that really kind of hard and harsh. It, you know, we might say something like, if you would stop just coming to Jesus when you're desperate and you would lean on him, even when things are going well, you wouldn't get to this place. And sometimes very well-meaning guys like me will say things like that. And it will almost come off as if it is discouraging you from coming and bringing your needs to Jesus in moments of desperation because you haven't been obedient to do it in moments of good times. Can I say if I've ever said anything like that that has moved anybody who's watching this to that point, I apologize that that was the result because that's never the purpose it's never the purpose to discourage you from coming to Jesus in your moments of desperation. Even though you wouldn't in your moments of success and prosperity know what it is. is It's an encouragement to stay walking with him in your moments of prosperity and success. But listen to me and listen to me clearly. My Jesus is compassionate. He is caring. He is loving. And he says to you that when you get to a moment of desperation, no matter what you've done to get you to that moment, he is still waiting for you to cry out to him. He cares. He asked this man a simple question that is so profound. In my study this week, as I was listening to, I prepared my outline and my message, and I was just listening to other sermons and reading other stuff, just gleaning from others. I came across John MacArthur talking about this point in this story, and he asked the question, why did Jesus ask how long this demon had been possessing this child? If the man would have given him an answer that was too long, would it have been outside of his reach? If it had given him an answer that was maybe too recent, would he have said, would he have said hey, just give it a little bit of time, he'll be okay? No. It didn't matter to Jesus how long, so why did Jesus ask that? MacArthur points out this incredible, incredible picture of the DNA of Jesus in stating that Jesus asked that question because he wanted to hear the Father's pain. He wanted to hear his story. He wanted to demonstrate to this father that this father had brought his son, listen, to a person, not to a power. 
Jesus is compassionate and he cares. Listen, he cares about your story. He cares about your pain. He cares about your suffering. He cares about the demons that have impacted your life. If you've experienced... Now, in today's world, we don't really see it like Jesus did very often in our Western American culture. Jesus was on the scene here. His um, following was growing, and Satan was trying to make himself known. And so were, there, there were numerous great pictures of Satan and his powers actually overtaking and possessing people's bodies and it being this many times grotesque, violent thing demonstrating their power. And we believe we still live in a world that is spiritual warfare all around us and that Satan does still roam and that there are still evil spirits and that he does still have his minions who do his bidding. But if you were Satan and you were trying to function in the United States of America in 2021, why in the world would you alert people to a spiritual realm when you can much better just try to convince them that it doesn't exist? And so maybe the demons today don't look like that in this part of the world. Maybe in other parts they do. But maybe it's just more whispering in your ear and just convincing you that none of this stuff really is real or matters anyway. Maybe it's a sin that you've committed or that you've habitually got yourself caught up in and Satan has seen that as an opportunity to entrap you and to destroy your life, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your kids. Maybe it's your attitude. But when evil and sin pushes us to a point of desperation, Jesus is still waiting to hear from us. It's never, listen, you're never too far gone. You've never been disobedient for too long. You've never committed too great of a sin. It's never too late. Jesus says to you, how long have you suffered? How long have you struggled? How long has your marriage been in shambles? How long have your kids been acting out? How long have you not been able to sleep because of your anxiety? How long? Because Jesus wants you to know however long he's still waiting. He shows great compassion And then verse 22, the man responds to Jesus. He says, it has often thrown him into the fire or water trying to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And then Jesus says, if you can, like if I can, if I can do it, if I can, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Highlight, underline verse 24. Because for many of us who watch this, for many of us who hear this, whether it's today or it's days or weeks down the line, for many of us, verse 24 needs to be the prayer we start with. I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet 
and he stood up. Jesus, here's your desperate faith in the midst of demons, but I also want to encourage you this morning. Listen, Jesus, here's your decided faith in the midst of doubt. There are many times in our lives as followers of Christ when we doubt God. And there are many times when our doubt, uh, our doubt pushes us to a point of being inactive in our pursuit of Christ Jesus. It may look like this. God, I don't think there's any way you can heal my marriage. You just can't do it, Lord. I don't think there's any way you can change the heart of my spouse, God. I don't think there's any way you can save my kid. Have you seen my kid and how hard-headed they are and how stubborn they are and how far off their rails they are? Lord, there's no way you can do that. God, I don't think there's any way you can heal the relationship between me and my parent. God, I just don't think there's any way you can break my loved one free from the chains of addiction. God, I don't don't think there's any way you can take care of my broken heart. You don't understand how bad it hurts. Why, Why would I even bother, Lord? This dad comes to Jesus. He says, if you can. You know how Jesus responds? Jesus responds to make sure, in a way that makes sure that we understand that Jesus is big enough and he is powerful enough, but he is also compassionate enough and he is personal enough to take our if you cans and turn them into if you will. God, if you can heal my marriage, God, you can heal my marriage, but if you will. God, if you can heal my broken heart, God, you can heal my broken heart, but will you please? Doubt is something that we will all face at some point in our lives. Maybe there's some people that will tell you that if you doubt, it's because you're in some kind of sin. If you doubt, it's because you're just not faithful enough. If you doubt, it's because you're not spiritual enough. If you doubt, it's because you don't read your Bible enough. If you doubt, you must not have prayed enough. And I say, if you doubt, maybe it's because you're human and you just doubt. Maybe it's because you look at the circumstance around you and you just kind of question. Doubting isn't the time to run from God. Doubting in and of itself is not sin. As a matter of fact, many times, and this doesn't even make sense, many times God can take your doubt and he can use it to bring himself glory and to draw you closer to who he is. If in the midst of your doubt, you still have a decided faith that says, I don't understand it, I don't get it, and I don't even know if I, can, if I fully believe that God can do it, but I know that God is God. I'm going to trust even when I doubt. What did the man say? He said, Lord, I believe, but I still need you to help me with my unbelief. God, I know. I've decided. I know. But can you show me still? Can you change my heart? It kind of looks like this. 
I love roller coasters. My daughter loves roller coasters. And so now I have to love roller coasters even beyond what I really love roller coasters because I love riding roller coasters with my daughter. But I'm kind of scared of heights. I'm not like terrified of heights, but I don't really like heights. Like when I stay in a high condo at the beach, like I I like looking out and seeing the ocean, but I don't like really like leaning on the rail to see the ocean. We went to the Alabama-Miami game and we were on the front row of the second level and, and it was cool. We could see the field as long as I was in my seat and I could even stand up and cheer. But like if my thighs touched the railing in front of me, it was like this wobbly, weird feeling. I don't know, I don't really like heights, but I love roller coasters. And I like roller coasters because they scare me. And I like being scared and then coming out on the other side of being scared. The adrenaline rush of it. And when I ride roller coasters and when I taught Emma to ride roller coasters and I'm still having to teach Drake to ride roller coasters. Drake still hasn't given his life to Jesus yet and so maybe when he has the Holy Spirit he'll ride roller coasters with me. But when I ride roller coasters I always say to Emma like don't worry about it. Do you see how many thousands of people have ridden this thing even today and they've all come out okay. But I still find myself when I'm going up that first hill pushing just to make sure true story no exaggeration when I was a teenager I was riding what used to be the ninja now it's called blue hawk or something at six flags it's the roller coaster you ride that you get a headache on and you leave concussed and all of those things I'm I'm not scared by the way to ride any roller too scared to ride roller coasters anymore but there are some I've chosen not to ride you know screen machine I don't ride the screen machine anymore I've ridden it forwards I've ridden it backwards I've ridden it in the daytime I've ridden it nighttime I've ridden in Halloween I've ridden it in summer and I don't ride it anymore why because there's one hill that when you go over the hill you come off the seat and if you're a guy you don't know how you're going to land back when you come off the seat and even if you land okay when you come back off the seat it's still going to hurt really bad when you get off back neck all those I just don't ride that anymore all right but one time I was riding the ninja And true story, we're going up the hill and we're getting close to the top. And my buddy who was riding next to me, we're both, I don't know, juniors in high school, something like that. He looks at me and he goes, Stephen. And I said, wait, put that down. He's like, I I said, dude, did you not check before they took like, so y'all know me, I'm loud. I start yelling, hey, hey. I mean, y'all have seen, y'all, like, y'all, y'all have gone to Six Flags before, right? You know, those employees, like, once you're going up the hill, they put their headphones back in. They ain't worried about you anymore. They're on to the next thing. Nobody comes. We get to the top. We get ready to start. He's hanging on to mine. I'm hanging on to, to his thing. Like, you like, it's like you've got, like, T-Rex arms once you've got it in that harness. So I'm, like, hanging on to his thing. He's hanging on to mine. His eyes are this big the whole time. I'm scared to death. And one of those little corkscrews, I'm going to see how far that, that, that roller coaster can throw this guy. Like, I'm just, I'm really nervous. We finally get off. We're both sweating bullets. We look at each other. Every time we tell people the stories the rest of the day, none of them believe us. They think we're all exaggerating. I promise this guy almost died. He didn't really almost die, but I felt like he was almost going to die because his stinking harness didn't lock in and so now every time I get on a roller coaster and I rode the Blue Hawk with Emma and it brought back flashbacks this summer and and all they did was paint it blue and it still gives you a headache and I rode it with her and the whole time I'm going up the hill I'm pushing on mine I'm pushing on hers I doubt it like I, I do I doubt roller coasters okay but I have this decided faith that I'm going to get through it I doubt it but I just kind of say I'm going to get through it I'm going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do you don't have a choice at that point I'm going to sit here and I'm going to make it through it listen When we doubt the creator of the universe, 
Doubting is one thing. But in the midst of that doubt, if we are able and willing to say, but God, help me with my unbelief, and I'm still going to trust you. I don't understand it. God, I don't know if you can heal my marriage. God, I don't know if you can save the soul of my sinful, wretched kid who hasn't trusted in you yet. God, I don't know. God, I don't know if you can provide for my family through the rest of this month. God, I don't know. But God, all I can do is decide that I'm going to cry out to you and trust that you're big enough for my I don't know. And then we watch God take our can you to Lord will you. What are you telling us today, Stephen? I'm telling you Pastors shouldn't preach this way, maybe. I don't know. Maybe I would make you more spiritual if I preached a different thing. But I'm telling you this morning that your faith doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. The only reason I'm here this morning, Stephen, is because I'm desperate and I feel guilty about it. Don't feel guilty. Be thankful for God's grace and God's goodness that he brought you here. A mom and a daddy put their faith and trust this morning in Christ Jesus because they were desperate on a Sunday morning and they came here for prayer. Stephen, I'm here, but I don't know if God can really do anything. Man, I just must not be spiritual enough. No, you're here and you pray and you cry out to the God that you're not sure if he can do anything because I know he can if you just keep crying out to him. Your faith doesn't have to be perfect. All Jesus asks is that our faith is dependent. You see, he hears your desperate faith in the midst of your demons and your desperation and your sin and your struggle. He hears your decided faith even when you doubt whether he can accomplish his good in your life. But he asks for dependent faith in order for us to experience deliverance. He doesn't want you to be perfect. He just wants you to be dependent. His disciples look at him in verse 28 and they said, Lord, why not? Why, why could this not happen for us? Why couldn't we drive out the demon? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Now you remember Jesus had given these disciples great power, okay? He had already allowed them to see miracles happen. He had already allowed them to uh, cast out demons. They had seen all of these things, but in this moment Jesus wasn't in their presence, right? He was up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. This dude comes up. Can you imagine what the disciples must have been like when somebody came up and they had the opportunity to do something great in the name of Jesus? I don't know what they were like. I know what I would have been like. I would have been like, yeah, come on. Like, let, let me show off a little bit. Like, we got a demon? Everybody come watch the show. Come watch the show. See, see what we can do. See, how, see how, how good this Jesus is. We're doing it in his name. But I kind of want people to look at me a little bit too, right? I'd get excited. I mean, I'd be a little sad for the boy who had a demon in him. But I'd be like, we about to show out. Can you imagine this demon comes and the disciples, this boy comes with this demon in him. And the disciples look at the boy and they look at the demon and they say, get out. Maybe they even throw it in the name of Jesus in there. 
Maybe they gather around him. Maybe they put their hands on his head. Maybe they stand a little bit far back because they're a little nervous about what might happen. Like you might knock over a microphone. Maybe, maybe they... But they say, get out, and the demon... Maybe the demon just shrieks a little louder, not in fear, but just to demonstrate you have no power over me. You can't do this on your own. They try it over and over again. The religious leaders come and begin looking at them and saying, I told you so. They're a bunch of fakes. They're a bunch of phonies. They can't do it. They're no good. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus cast out the demon and the disciples defeated Look at him and say, why? And Jesus very simply says to them, because you weren't dependent upon me. You didn't pray. Here's the super big secret in church life, and I'm done. Can I tell you a really big secret? There's a whole lot of things that you can accomplish that look really good to the rest of the world, fully in your power and without any power of the Holy Spirit in any prayer, and everybody pat you on the back and say, good job. Do you know that Chad and Jared can get up here and lead us in worship? Liliana can sing like nobody else sings. They can do all their stuff And it's fully possible for them to do that and sing in their own talent without any of their power. And you think, oh my goodness, they are just awesome. It is really, really, for many of us, easy to do a lot of things in our own power and it look good. But it is impossible to accomplish anything of eternal significance apart from prayer. If you're not willing to pray, you have no faith and you'll never get to see God work in his fullness in your life. Somewhere along the line, the disciples had figured out they could do some stuff and they'd forgotten that they were desperately dependent on the power of Jesus. And for us today, the power of Jesus only shows up in his word. And we're willing, and when we're willing, to pray. We always want to act. I need to take care of my, my marriage so I'm going to be nicer to my spouse. No, you're not. You're just not until you pray. My finances are in a mess, so I'm going to fix them. No, you're not. They're in a mess because you couldn't fix them. Pray. My kids are running wild, Stephen. They're doing things that are unimaginable. They're causing such heartache and grief. I'm going to be a better parent. I'm going to discipline them better. I'm going to influence them to do the right thing. No, you're not. You've already tried that. Pray. My friend needs Jesus. My loved one needs Jesus. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to share the gospel with him. I'm going to share the gospel with my coworker, with my family member. I'm going to tell him about Jesus the next time 
I see them. That's what I got to do. No, you're not. You didn't tell them about him last week or the week before that. Why not? Because you hadn't prayed for him yet. A little closer to home. I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to grow our church. I'm going to be energetic and we're going to preach and we're going to have great music. We're going to have great programs and we're going to have a great impact for the kingdom of God. No, you're not. Not if you don't pray. In order for us to see the power of the Holy Spirit and it demonstrated in deliverance from sin and having an impact that is eternal, we must be dependent upon Christ Jesus. And the marker of whether you're dependent upon Jesus or not is do you pray? So here's the invitation. One word. We'll make it two. Just pray. Some of you are followers of Christ today and there is brokenness in your life. You are desperate maybe. Maybe there's doubt. Today I'm just asking you to pray. Some of you need to in an act of humility come and pray before a holy God. Here, make this an altar before him. Just pray. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your marriage. Pray for relationships. Pray for that sin that has overtaken that loved one's life or overtaken your life. For God to remove it, just pray. Pray for your kids. Just pray. Some of you today just need to come pray as a follower of Christ. Jesus is looking at you and saying, these things don't happen apart from prayer. Just pray. Pray for our church. Will you do that? And some of you today have been trying to live this life on your own and in your own power and accomplish all these great things. And you need to begin with a prayer that says, God, I'm a sinner and I need you. I need to trust my life in your hands. Some of you today need to pray a prayer of forgiveness, a prayer of repentance and say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I turn from my sin. I put my faith and trust in you based on what you did for me on the cross. I'm a sinner who needs a savior. If that's you, you can text the word Buford Info to that number 97,000 and begin a conversation with us. Or you can come see us and begin a conversation with us. Or you can come pray that prayer of salvation here. Just pray. So we're going to stand together. I know it's late. We've celebrated a lot. We've baptized. And I just shared what God had on my heart for you today. But as we worship this morning, and we're going to worship, I'm asking you to respond. Not with some great action step or some great 12-step plan of how you can make your life better or how you can get out of your problems. I'm asking you to respond today simply by praying. Would you do that as we worship together? God, help us to be obedient to you in these moments. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name. We We hope that you have been blessed and challenged by this message. If you have questions, prayer requests, or want to know more about how to follow Jesus, please check us out at fbcbuford.org.